Strange, Wild, and Dangerous is an autobiographical podcast by me, your host, Eloise Chung. It must have been summer break. I was visiting my friend who had transferred to a different school from Indiana to Pennsylvania. We were sitting in the backyard. I was giving her a haircut. And in my opinion, it looked okay, and I'd already spent an hour on it, so I felt like I was done. So I set the scissors down while she looks in a mirror, and then she slams the mirror down and turns to me and says, You're not done. This is terrible. You have to fix it. But I refused to for some reason, probably because I'm a terrible friend, and we got into this huge fight, and at one point she tells me to get out of her house. I just want to say here that I would think... One of my most defining characteristics is I'm independent. I've always just kind of looked out for myself. So when she told me to leave, I had no qualms about packing up my bag and getting the hell out of Dodge, even though I only probably had about $20 and no car to speak of. I'm wearing a t-shirt, cut-off shorts, and combat boots because it's the 90s, and my anger is just radiating off of me. I started heading into town and then past town and next thing I know I'm on like a main road with my thumb out. It's late in the afternoon, I haven't even eaten lunch yet and this is before the ubiquity of water bottles. I don't know how we didn't all die of dehydration but there I am on the side of the road waiting for any car to stop and give me a ride. I'd already planned where I wanted to go, Washington DC. It was only about two hours away, so it didn't seem like such a stretch to get to in one go. I probably stood there for about a good half hour, sweating under the late afternoon sun, when finally a guy pulls over on his motorcycle. In that moment, I'm simultaneously relieved and also hyper alert to any threat he might pose. His forehead's clammy when he takes off his helmet. He's kind of a pudgy, middle-aged guy. He looks totally harmless. And in my naivete, I think, I could probably outrun him if I needed to. He asks me where I'm going, and I tell him, and he says, It's getting late. It's going to be hard to find a ride at this hour, and you're probably not going to get all the way there before dark. So here's what I can do. I've got a campsite not too far from here. You can stay overnight, and in the morning, I'll buy you a round-trip bus ticket to get you to D.C. and back. I felt like I hit the jackpot. A free bus ticket? I was in. When he said it wasn't that far, I imagined it would be close enough to town that if I needed to, I could run to a neighbor's house and call for help. Because, you know, it's the 90s and no one has a cell phone. He has me put on his spare helmet and then I get on the back of the bike and we're off. We're off for a really long time. The houses start to thin out and are replaced by huge swaths of trees and forest. I remember clearly one section that we passed where all the trees were dead for miles, and he tells me that they were all killed by invasive moths. Finally, in what feels like an hour later, we get to his campsite. We pull in off a fire road into a clearing in the forest where he has a truck truck with a camper bed um, next to a fire pit, and there's a couple lawn chairs. He's a generous host, and he makes dinner for us. And at one point, he tells me he can read people. So he tells me 
about me, how I had a hard childhood and that I was creative and sensitive. And these things sound kind of generic when I'm telling them to you now, but um, I feel like they were more specific when he was telling them to me. And I'd never felt so seen by any person up to that time. No one had said anything like this to me before. He tells me he's a martial arts instructor and teaches me a few self-defense moves. And then out of nowhere, nowhere, he pulls out this knife to give to me and shows me how to attack someone if they're attacking me. I feel very comfortable and safe. And maybe this is kind of a overconfidence on my part, but because my parents had been so cruel, I felt like, I feel like I'm just highly attuned to people who are off in any way and have mostly been able to steer clear of them. So anyway, dinner is done. He's taught me everything he knows about self-defense and about myself, and it's bedtime. He offers me the camper top and says he'll sleep by the fire on the lounge chair. I climb up into the camper and I'm crawling in, getting under the covers, just settling in. I can see the faint outline of the sky from the moon. I'm lying there and it hasn't even been two minutes when there's movement in the camper and suddenly the sky is blocked out by a big looming shadow. I can't really make out where his body is, but next thing I know, his lips are on mine and I'm trying to push him off of me. My heart is racing, but I'm not even scared at this point. I'm just angry. Angry that he broke my trust. But he immediately backs up and he apologizes. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I scramble out of the camper and onto the grass below. He's still apologizing when he comes back out and tells me I can, I can go back into the camper. He's not going to bother me. But I decline. I felt like I would just be so much more safer out in the open than in an enclosed area. So I tell him I'll take the lounger and he can sleep inside the camper. He gives me a heavy, scratchy, army issue wool blanket. Then he goes inside and I stay outside. And true to his word, he doesn't try anything else. And I sleep safely outside. The next day, he takes me to the bus stop and true to his word he buys me a bus ticket a round trip bus ticket to dc not only that but we go in the little market and he buys me insoles because remember i'm wearing combat boots which are not the most comfortable to walk around in um, and also lunch from the little amish market as i'm getting on the bus he hands me one more thing it's a slip of paper with his name and phone number on it. And he says, you know, give me a call when you're back and let's kick around. Two hours later, I'm in DC. I don't really know where I'm going or what I'm going to do, but there are maps and there are buses going everywhere. So I take one and end up near the mall. One of the great things about D.C. is all the museums are free. I walked the length of the National Mall, went to the Smithsonian, the National Gallery of Art, saw all the monuments, and just walked and walked for hours. Can I just say how happy I was I had those insoles? Soon enough, it's dinner time. 
and I go to a place that looks really cool and is um, themed around music. It's called Hard Rock Cafe. I'm a total tourist. I've never been in a Hard Rock Cafe anywhere before. But I can tell as soon as I go in that it's a tourist trap. Nonetheless, I'm tired and I'm ready to sit down. I grab a seat at the bar and uh, order something cheap because, you know, I only have $20 and try to figure out who in this bar I can talk to that will let me crash with them that night. I stay there a while because I'm tired and I don't have anywhere else to go. But also, the bartender is friendly and we're chatting and he tells me he's going to college at Georgetown and realizing that I didn't have a place to stay, offered to let me stay at his place. I hang around until his shift is over and then we head back to his apartment where he lives with two or three other roommates. I think I stayed two nights, but the third night, um, he and his roommates were all going out of town, so I needed to find somewhere else to go. There's an early morning bus, so I have this brilliant idea to go hang out at the bus station to wait for the morning bus, starting at like midnight. I'm young. I feel confident that I can just stay awake the entire time. And I do, except there's this guy who comes over and he just starts talking, uh, just telling me the most obscene things and making obscene gestures. So obviously it's not a chill place for me to hang out and I get up and start walking around. A taxi driver sees me and waves me over and he's like, come on, you need a ride, you need a ride. And I tell him, no, I don't have any money, first of all. And um, I'm I'm just waiting for the bus. But he's really chatty and he wants to show me the city. He's like, oh, you gotta see it at night, you know? And he's really, he's being super friendly. He's like this big Jamaican guy. And I... Well, and I I don't, I'm conflicted because I don't want to stay at the bus station anymore. And I don't feel super, I don't feel like it's a super good idea to go with this guy either. But in my head, it does seem like the better option. So I go, we start driving and it becomes apparent that he's not going to take me on some tour of the city. His idea is to go through this drive through liquor store, pick up a bottle of peach brandy and then invites me to his place, which of course, I adamantly decline. But of course, he's driving, I'm just a passenger, and I can't do anything, so I'm trapped in his car, and we are going to his apartment. When we get to his place, I make a big deal about not going in, but he's a really big guy and very intimidating. Um, Not that he was like being intimidating or acting intimidating, But just his physical presence made me not want to do anything to upset him. So next thing I know, we're inside his place. And it looks like a total bachelor pad. It's got black leather couches and glass tables. And uh, he's pouring me a glass of the brandy or schnapps or whatever it is. I'm feeling on edge, of course, and looking to get, make my escape as soon as possible, but also I have no idea where I am or how to get back to the bus station. So I'm also kind of dependent on him to get me back to where I need to go. So I'm trying to be nice. I think this is called fawning. I'm trying to be nice and pleasant without incurring any sort of wrath, but also not 
giving him any ideas that this is more than just what it already is. I keep telling him, I want to go back to the bus station. And finally, he has enough of me, and he acquiesces. And we go back outside, and we get into his taxi, and he drives me back to the bus station. We've been gone long enough that I actually only have a few more hours to kill. So I do it by walking around and pacing the entire bus station until there's enough light you can walk around outside the bus station and into the neighborhood. At this point, I feel like my friend has probably been sufficiently scared or worried about me, so I give her a call. When she hears my voice, she doesn't sound surprised or even worried. I think part of me wanted to embark on that adventure as a way to kind of make a point to let her know that I didn't need her. But when I tell her where I am and what I've been up to, she responds by saying, I'm impressed. And that is exactly what that wounded 19-year-old me needed to hear. Thanks for listening to Strange, Wild, and Dangerous. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. 